Section 25 of Mysteries of London, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Mysteries of London, Volume 4, by George W. M. Reynolds. A Painful Scene. We deemed it advisable to break as little as possible, by comment or extraneous explanation, the thread of the Prince of Montoni's discourse upon the reform that had been introduced into the Grand Duchy of Castelcicala. We therefore refrained from giving any account of the manner in which Charles Hatfield listened and received, or rather greedily drank in, the narrative of His Royal Highness. To say that the young man heard with enthusiasm were to convey but a feeble idea of his emotions as he hung upon every sentence, every word, that fell from the lips of the Earl's illustrious guest. When, however, we declare that even Perdita's image fell into the background of his mind during the whole time that the Prince was discoursing, our readers may form some notion of the nature of that impression which was made upon him. On retiring to his chamber at about one o'clock in the morning, Charles Hatfield thought not of seeking his couch, but throwing himself into an armchair, he gave way to the agitating, conflicting, turbulent ideas which had been excited in his soul. The modesty of the prince, he thought, concealed the fact that nearly all the reforms which he detailed were suggested by himself. Oh, what would I give to be enabled to raise myself to eminence in the world? Twenty years of my life? Ah, yes, willingly, willingly would I yield up a quarter of my probable existence to gain a name, honoured and renowned, as that of the Prince of Montoni. And is not rank within my grasp? Can I not in a moment, by the waving of my hand, as it were, place upon my brow the coronet of a viscount? May I not yet stand before the world as the heir apparent to the earldom of Ellingham? Yes, and if once I find my way into the Supreme Legislative Assembly, shall I not be enabled to advocate the cause of the people and obtain a glorious renown? It were trifling with my own interests, it were wronging myself to abstain from asserting my just rights. If my father choose to remain a simple commoner and allow his younger brother to wear the honours and hold the estates of a proud earldom, Am I to be bound by his will? No, no. And my father acts not a parent's part towards me in thus keeping me in obscurity. Tis clear that my sire's early life renders him desirous to shun all circumstances that may attract attention towards him. Tis clear, my God, how dreadful to think of. Tis clear, I say, that he feels the impropriety of a highwayman laying claim to a lordly title oh the sins of the father are indeed visited on the child in my case but i am innocent my life has been spotless and pure my character is untarnished wherefore should i suffer for my parents crimes it is unjust most unjust and even filial duty in its best and holiest sense cannot compel me to renounce the distinctions to which, by birth, I am the heir. No, no, a young man of my ambition, my talents, my feelings, 
my burning hopes, must not immolate himself for the sake of a father who acts unjustly towards him. For how stands the case between us? The question is whether a parent should make any and every sacrifice for his child, or whether the child must make all possible sacrifices for his father. In asserting his rights, claiming his title, and thereby enabling me to assume my own, he doubtless would have to make a sacrifice. He must declare who he is, my God, the resuscitated highwayman. But, on the other hand, in consenting to keep his secret, do I not willfully blind myself to my own interests, wantonly thrust aside those opportunities of gaining distinction and acquiring renown, which are within my reach? Crush with suicidal hand the glorious aspirations which I have formed, and purposely trample on all the hopes that are developing themselves before me. Charles Hatfield rose, paced the room in an agitated manner, then, reseating himself, again plunged into his ominous reflections. I have read that those who yield to the influence of false sentimentalism never rise in the world. He who would attain to the pinnacle of eminence must harden his heart, even as did Napoleon when he put away from him that charming Josephine who loved him with such pure and fervid devotion. Yes, family, kith and kindred must be sacrificed, all sacrificed, by him who follows the dictates of his ambition. And yet, and yet, did not Richard Markham rise by his virtues, as much as by his talents and heroism, to that eminence which enabled him to take his place amongst the mightiest princes of Europe? Oh, but he had opportunities which may never occur again. He is the one in the thousand whom fortune takes by the hand. If I remain obscure, unknown, plain Mr. Charles Hatfield, I am but a unit amidst the millions which constitute the mass called the people. But if I suddenly stand forth as a viscount and the heir of a wealthy earldom, shall I not at once be placed in a position to carve out a career for myself? Oh, how glorious, how thrilling would it be to have the power of saying to my Perdita, beautiful angel, I am not the obscure young man I appear to be. In me, behold, Viscount Marston, the heir to the earldom of Ellingham. Ah, Perdita, then would you feel honoured in my love, and I should not be compelled to evince my gratitude to thee for loving me. Charming, adorable Perdita, thine image is coupled with the bright dream of ambition that now animates me. For when I shall have distinguished myself in the Senate, how delicious will it be to see thee welcome with pride and admiration my return to thine arms, to behold thy fine eyes fixed upon me, eloquently proclaiming how proud thou art to own the love of a man who is filling the world with his fame. Yes, I must assert my rights. But how? Oh, I will confide all to Perdita, and she possesses a mind so strong and an intellect so powerful that she will assist me with her counsel in this difficulty and it will be so sweet to receive advice from her lips so delightful to mark the interest which she will take in my affairs again he rose from his seat for a sudden thought had struck him accompanied by a severe pang a pang that went through his heart 
like a barbed arrow. My mother, my poor mother, he murmured to himself. Oh, what a blow will it be to her if I compel my father, compel her husband, to assert his claims to the earldom of Ellingham. And yet, was I not for years neglected by her? Did she care for me? Did she even have me to dwell with her during my infancy? No, no, I was abandoned to the woman Watts. And had I become a thief in the streets, a prowling, houseless vagabond, my mother would have been to blame. Thus was it that this young man, having imbibed from Perdita the art and facility of sophistical reasoning, thus was it that he crushed all the naturally generous feelings of his soul, and struggled desperately to subdue the promptings of his really good disposition. Love and ambition produced these baneful effects. But his love, was it a pure and honest love, inspired by a virtuous being? Or was it a frenzy, engendered and sustained by a depraved and designing woman, endowed with the most glorious beauty? And his ambition, was it that fine spirit of emulation which warms the generous heart, and prompts the enlightened mind to seek distinction for the sake of being enabled, by means of influence and high position, to benefit the human race? Or was it a selfish craving after rank and power, in order to enjoy the sweets of applause, become the object of servile flattery, and obtain the honour ever shown in this country to sounding titles and a proud aristocracy? The reader can answer these questions for himself. Having passed nearly two hours in the wild reverie which suggested schemes so menacing in their nature to his own and his parents' happiness, Charles Hatfield retired to rest, and in his dreams he beheld a variety of scenes and images incongruously grouped and confusedly jumbled together. The voluptuous form of Perdita stretched in a witching undress on the sofa, and extending her arms to welcome him to her embraces. The martial Prince of Montoni, seated on horseback, surrounded by a brilliant staff, Thousands and thousands of persons gathered together to witness the passing of a gay cavalcade, of which he fancied himself to be the leader as well as the hero of the occasion. And then his father and mother, kneeling and weeping at his feet, and proffering some prayer to which he refused to accede. Then he thought that he was roving in a delicious garden, where the singing of birds, the hues of the flowers, and the fragrance of aromatic shrubs made everything delightful to the senses, and where Perdita was his companion. She appeared to be clad in the loose and scanty drapery which heathen goddesses are represented to wear, fastened by a clasp on the left shoulder, flowing so as to leave the right bosom entirely bare, and confined by a zone to the waist. Airily, airily, they tripped along together, until they beheld a temple standing at a distance. Then Perdita suddenly assumed the majesty of a queen, and, conducting her lover to a shrine within the temple, made him kneel down, while she crowned him with a wreath of flowers, while unseen minstrels poured forth a strain of delicious music. Under the influence of this last dream he awoke, and the image of Perdita still remained uppermost in his mind. 
Then, as he performed the functions of the toilette, he reconsidered all the arguments and plans, repeated to himself all the sophistical reasoning into which he had fallen before he retired to rest, and hardening his heart in respect to his parents, yes, and hardening it too with regard to Lady Frances Ellingham, he resolved to sacrifice all and everything to the two idols of his soul, ambition and Perdita. In this frame of mind, he descended to the breakfast parlour, where the Earl and Countess of Ellingham, Lady Frances, Mr. Hatfield, and Lady Georgiana were already assembled. Charles assumed as gay an appearance as possible, for he was resolved to mask his knowledge of all the family secrets, as well as his sinister designs, until he should have consulted with Perdita. But in spite of himself, there was a certain constraint and embarrassment in his manner when he spoke to Lady Frances, and this artless, beautiful young creature surveyed him with astonishment and grief. The fact was that the heart of Charles Hatfield smote him for the vile and perfidious part he had enacted towards his cousin, and he scarcely dared to look her in the face. Her parents and his own, as well as she herself, noticed the peculiarity of his demeanour in this respect, and Lady Georgiana was so affected by his apparent coolness towards the Earl's daughter, that it was with difficulty she could restrain herself from questioning him then and there on the subject. A hasty whisper, however, from her husband, sealed her tongue, and gave her the assurance that he would soon ascertain the cause of their son's altered behaviour towards the young lady who was already looked upon as his future wife. Accordingly, when the morning repast was concluded, Mr. Hatfield beckoned his son to follow him to the library, and now Charles was struck with a sudden fear, conscience exciting the apprehension that his schemings were discovered and seen through by an outraged, indignant father. On entering the library, Mr. Hatfield motioned him to take a seat near him. Then, fixing his eyes upon the young man's countenance, he said, Charles! Has any misunderstanding occurred between Lady Frances and yourself? No, not that I am aware of, returned Charles, considerably relieved by the question that indicated the nature of the colloquy which it opened. Wherefore should you entertain such an idea? Because your manner towards Lady Frances at the breakfast table was cool, constrained, and embarrassed, said Mr. Hatfield. She herself noticed the circumstance and I observed that Lord and Lady Ellingham were pained by it likewise. As for your mother, Charles, she was deeply grieved, and I was both hurt and annoyed. I am sorry, my dear father, but, but I was not aware of any difference in my demeanour towards her ladyship, stammered Charles, unskilled as yet in the arts of duplicity and guile. My son, my dear son, do not attempt to deceive me exclaimed Mr. Hatfield emphatically. Lady Frances, in the artlessness of her soul, in the confiding candour of her amiable nature, yesterday acquainted her mother, the Countess of Ellingham, with all that had taken place between yourself and her in the morning. You made her an offer of your hand, in pursuance of the counsel which I gave you, and her parents will cheerfully yield an assent to your suit. Indeed, the Earl expected to see you on the subject yesterday afternoon. 
but it appears that immediately after your interview with lady frances you went out and remained absent for some hours how you dispose of your time it is not for me to inquire you are of an age when you are entitled to be your own master but this i implore of you lose no time in seeking a private interview with the earl and soliciting him to accord you the hand of his daughter tis a mere ceremony which a parent and a personage of his standing naturally expects you to perform and i promise you that there is no chance of a refusal my dear father said charles the natural candour of his nature asserting its empire i was too hasty in proposing to lady frances would to god that i could recall the step i thus rashly took mr hatfield surveyed his son in profound astonishment for nearly a minute then breaking forth indignantly he exclaimed what sir you have dared to trifle with the affections of an amiable and accomplished girl you decline a match which is so desirable in every point of view and on which your mother's heart is set i must decline the honour of this alliance answered the young man speaking with a courage which even surprised himself do you know charles demanded his father with an utterance almost suffocated by indescribable emotions do you know that your conduct is that of a villain and shall it be said that you you a young man of whom such lofty expectations have been formed by whom have these expectations been formed suddenly cried the rebellious son his choler rising as all his wrongs real or imaginary rushed to his mind those wrongs which he believed himself to have received and to be still enduring at the hands of his parents by whom repeated mr hatfield much pained by the tone words and manner of the young man by whom should such hopes be experienced save by your parents my parents cried charles with withering irony wherefore am i not acknowledged as your son why do you not proclaim yourselves to be my parents was not the discovery on my part a matter of mere chance and should i not have been kept for ever ignorant of the fact had not an accident revealed it to me oh my god this is retribution murmured mr hatfield bowing himself down and covering his face with his hands at that moment the door opened and lady georgiana pale as death and scarcely able to support herself on her tottering limbs made her appearance unable to endure the state of suspense in which she had been plunged relative to the altered manner of her son towards lady frances at the breakfast-table and having a vague presentiment that some unpleasant scene was occurring between him and her husband in the library she had determined to repair thither and relieve herself at once from an uncertainty that was intolerable but upon reaching the door she heard charles talking loudly and bitterly she instinctively paused and those terrible questions which he addressed to his father smote upon her ear like the voice of the angel of death staggering into the room she mechanically closed the door behind her and then leant against it for support her fine her handsome countenance denoted the most poignant anguish it was absolutely distorted while a frightful pallor overspread it 
"'My mother, my dear mother!' exclaimed Charles, bounding towards her, for his soul was touched by the pitiable appearance which she presented to his view. "'Just heaven, Charles, what have you said to your father?' she asked, in a tone of despair, and flinging herself into her son's arms, she gave vent to a flood of tears. "'I implore your pardon, my dear parents,' if in a moment of haste and impatience i said aught that can give you offence exclaimed the young man but i was not master of my emotions for you my father had termed me a villain let us not recriminate said mr hatfield rising and taking his son by the hand lady georgiana having in the meantime sunk into the chair to which charles conducted her i was wrong to address you thus harshly but your refusal to form an alliance with lady frances to whom you only yesterday imparted a confession of attachment oh charles is it possible that your parents are to experience such bitterness of disappointment as this exclaimed lady georgiana turning a look of appeal of earnest appeal upon her son you know not how profound will be my sorrow if you thus enact a perfidious part towards lady frances ellingham would you have me wed when my harp is not fixed demanded charles warmly i laboured under a delusion i fancied that i loved lady frances as one whom i should wish to make my wife but i now find that it was only with the affection of her brother or of a very sincere friend that i in reality regarded her Yesterday morning you, my dear father, entered my chamber at a moment when the confusion of ideas caused by unpleasant dreams was scarcely dissipated. You urged me to confess an attachment to Lady Frances, to seek her hand, and I obeyed you. But I acted under an impulse for which I could not account. I yielded to some unknown influence which I could not resist. And yet it was not love, my dear parents, no it was not love in making lady frances my wife i should only ensure the unhappiness of an excellent a beautiful an accomplished girl you admit all her admirable qualities charles interrupted his mother and yet you refuse to avail yourself of an opportunity to secure so precious a prize to link your fortunes with one who is certain to make the best of wives it is utterly incomprehensible exclaimed mr hatfield whose knowledge of the world and large experience of the human heart convinced him that there was something more at the bottom of his son's conduct than the alleged reasons for so abruptly breaking off a match that he thought must appear in every way so eligible and advantageous to the young man my dear parents this scene is most painful to us all said Charles, who, glancing rapidly at the timepiece upon the mantel, saw that the hour was approaching for his visit to Perdita. His father, observing that impatient look cast towards the clock, instantly comprehended that his son had some appointment to keep, and connecting this discovery with the strangeness of his conduct in respect to Lady Frances, it flashed to his mind in a moment that the young man had formed some attachment elsewhere charles he accordingly said turning abruptly towards his son 
and looking him full in the face. "'You love another?' The young man became red as scarlet, and stammered out a few unintelligible words, which his father soon cut short. "'Now we have discovered the truth. But surely you have formed no unworthy attachment. Surely you cannot love one whom you are ashamed to name,' cried Mr. Hatfield. "'Speak, Charles, speak! Answer your father!' said Lady Georgiana, in an imploring tone, as she perceived her son turn away towards the mantle. For rebellious thoughts again rose in the mind of the young man, and he felt hurt and vexed that his conduct should thus be questioned by parents who never had acknowledged him as their son until the necessity was forced upon them by his accidental discovery of the secret of his birth, and who now kept him out of what he conceived to be his just rights. Moreover, was he not twenty-five years old? And was that an age at which he should thus be tutored and treated like a child? Lastly, it was verging fast upon twelve, and had he not assured his Perdita that he would not be a minute later midday? Charles, why do you not answer me? asked Mr. Hatfield, approaching him. Wherefore do you treat your parents with contempt? Wherefore did my parents treat me with such unnatural neglect as to bring me up as their nephew? demanded the young man, turning abruptly, almost savagely, round upon his father. Wherefore do they now pass me off to the world in that latter capacity? he cried, becoming fearfully excited. Lady Georgiana uttered a faint scream, covered her face with her hands, and fell back in her chair, sobbing bitterly. "'You speak of unnatural conduct,' cried Mr. Hatfield, growing excited in his turn. "'Tell me at once, Charles, do you mean to throw off all allegiance to your parents? "'If so, remember that it is in our power to deprive you of the immense fortune which is otherwise destined for you.' "'Ah! Menaces!' ejaculated the young man and darting upon his father a look of mingled regret and anger of united sorrow and indignation a look so strange so ominous that mr hatfield started with horror he rushed from the room stay stay cried lady georgiana springing towards the door but her son heeded her not he obeyed not her voice and the unhappy mother sank upon the floor gasping for utterance, and feeling as if her heart would break with the wretched sensations that filled her bosom. Mr. Hatfield hastened to raise his wife, to place her in a chair, and to breathe words of consolation in her ears. When she was somewhat recovered, she clasped her hands convulsively together, and looking up appealingly into his face, said, "'Is this a reality, or is it a dream?' Alas, it is a terrible reality, responded Mr. Hatfield, in a tone of mingled bitterness and sorrow. And what can it all mean? asked Lady Georgiana wildly, for she was bewildered by the strangeness of her son's conduct, amazed by the sudden alteration of his manner from respect to insolent indifference towards his parents. Heaven alone can solve that question for us at present returned her husband. Can it be that he has learnt anything, that he suspects aught of the past? 
No, no, that is impossible. But ever since the discovery of his real parentage, he has been altered, sometimes moody and thoughtful, at others petulant and hasty, now unnaturally gay and excited, then deeply depressed and melancholy, but never unruly and overbearing, disobedient and rebellious, as he has shown himself this forenoon. "'Tis easy to perceive, I fear, that he is troubled by the mystery which induced us to conceal his position with regard to us, said Lady Georgiana. And likewise, yes, likewise, she added hesitatingly, the circumstance that he still passes as our nephew weighs upon his mind. Oh, this is a terrible retribution for my sins, an awful punishment for the foul misdeeds of my earlier years, exclaimed Mr. Hatfield, wringing his hands bitterly. My dear husband, said Lady Georgiana, whose turn it now was to console, give not way thus to your sorrow. Let us hope that he will repent of this strange unruliness of conduct. Alas, I have sad forebodings of evil, cried the unhappy man. I fear that he has formed some unworthy connection, Georgiana. But let us dissemble our sorrow. Let us not afflict the Earl and the amiable Esther by giving them any account of the occurrences of this day. And yet, what can we say respecting the union that was contemplated between their amiable daughter and our son? demanded Lady Georgiana in an anxious tone. We will by some means find an excuse for the embarrassment and coldness of manner which Charles exhibited at the breakfast table, returned Mr. Hatfield, and I will seek the earliest opportunity to reason with him fully and calmly upon the subject. If he should have formed an attachment elsewhere, that is scarcely probable when we come to look calmly at the matter since he yesterday morning declared his affection to Francis. Alas, tis a mystery which pains and alarms me, said Lady Georgiana. A mystery which I will penetrate, my dear wife, exclaimed Mr. Hatfield, in a resolute, almost stern tone of voice. But for the present, it is useless to hazard a conjecture. End of section 25